want to just review a few moments of what we talked about this morning, and then we'll pick up from there. said that in a world that is increasingly more wicked and unsafe, challenging for all of believers, and in the time in which we live today with all that's going on around us, especially the war in Israel, and how the nations are gathered together and choosing sides, so to speak, Christians everywhere are longing for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're asking the question, when is the Lord coming? And I hope all of you are praying, even so, come quickly. We're looking for His coming at any moment. So as we think about that coming and the rapture, we, we talked about what does the word rapture mean. The word rapture is deri- derived from a Latin verb that means to catch up or carry off. It is also the translation of the Greek word harpazo. That word is used 14 times in the New Testament and has at least four different meanings that are ascribed to it. All of them are a part of and give us a picture of what the rapture truly means. The first meaning is to carry off by force. The Lord's going to come and take His people out of this world. The second is to claim for oneself eagerly. The Lord's going to claim His people for Himself. The third meaning is to snatch away speedily. The Bible says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And the fourth is to rescue from danger of destruction. The Lord is going to rescue us out of this world before the destruction comes of the tribulation time. And that's part of what the rapture means and what the rapture is all about. The Bible speaks of six different raptures. Four of them have already taken place. The rapture of Enoch and then the rapture of Elijah, the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ himself who was taken up, and then a man in Christ that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, which we believe was the Apostle Paul himself. There are two raptures that are still to come. One of those is the two witnesses that will be witnessing during the tribulation period. They'll be killed, they'll lie in the streets for, for three days, and then The Lord will bring life back to them. They will rise and they will be raptured up into heaven. And then the last one that we'll mention is the rapture of the believers. When the saints are called up, we're caught out of this world to be with the Lord. The second question we talked about, does the word rapture appear in the Bible? And the answer is no. The word rapture itself, as we know it in our English language, does not appear in the Bible. But neither does the word trinity or the word demon or the word Bible. Or the word grandfather. We know there's a trinity. We know there are demons. We know there are grandfathers. I are one. We know that the rapture is a reality. It is real. So then we talked about when will the rapture recur? When will it occur? And as regards to the exact date or time of the rapture, no one knows. The Bible says in Matthew 24, 42, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Beware of anybody who tries to give you a date and tell you when the rapture is going to take place. Nobody knows that, and they can't set a date because God says they don't know it. There are four main views about the rapture that are taught today. One is the post-tribulation rapture. That means the, they, some believe the rapture takes place after the seven-year period of the tribulation. The second is the mid-tribulation. They, they believe that the rapture takes place in the middle. Three and a half years into that seven years, the rapture will take place. The third group is called the pre-wrath rapture. 
The last three and a half years are considered to be the wrath, but halfway in through there, God's really going to be pouring out his wrath. So those folks believe that three-fourths of the way through the rapture, uh, or through the tribulation, the rapture are going to take place. And then there is what I believe to be the biblical viewpoint, and that is the pre-tribulation rapture. In other words, the Lord will come for his saints, take us out of this world. We'll be in heaven for seven years, while on earth there's a seven-year tribulation. The Lord will be taking care of business here on this earth, dealing with the nation of Israel. In heaven, some things will be going on, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the judgment seat of Christ. And then he comes back with the saved to the earth and sets up his kingdom to rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth. So then we came to the fourth question this morning, is the rapture the same event as the second coming of Christ? And we said the first coming, we all understand the first coming is when Jesus came. We celebrate that at Christmas time, the birth of the Lord. He came to this earth, was born in a, in a, uh, to a virgin there in the stable in Bethlehem, and uh, lived a sinless, spotless life, died on the cross, and paid our sin debt, shed his blood to pay our sin debt there on the cross at Calvary. That is the first coming. The second coming has two parts to it. First part is the rapture. That's when the Lord comes and raptures the saved out of this world. And then seven years later is what is called the second coming. That's when the Lord actually comes to earth. At the rapture, he comes in the air, and we're caught up. At seven years later, at the second coming, he comes to the earth and sets up his kingdom here on this earth. So the rapture and the second coming are not the same event. There are two parts, you might say, of the same event of what is oftentimes classified the second coming. At the rapture, the Lord comes for his saints. And then at the second coming, he comes with his saints. We said that the rapture introduces the tribulation and the second coming concludes the tribulation. At the second coming, he comes with his saints. Now, I want to pick up there where we left off this morning. I said that there are a number of distinguishing differences between the rapture and the second coming. The rapture is a movement from earth to heaven. That is when saved people are taken from the earth to heaven. The second coming is a movement from heaven to earth. So at the rapture, we're going up. At the second coming, we're coming back with the Lord to set up his kingdom. These two events are not the same. They're separated by the seven-year tribulation period. Now let me give you some comparisons. In the rapture, Christ comes in the air. At the return, he comes to the earth. At the rapture, Christ comes for the saints. At the return, he comes with the saints. At the rapture, all the believers depart the earth. At the return, unbelievers are taken away. At the rapture, Christ claims his bride. At the return, Christ comes with his bride. At the rapture, Christ gathers his own. At the return, the angels gather the elect. At the rapture, Christ comes to reward. At the return, Christ comes to judge. At the rapture, you do not find the rapture in the Old Testament specifically. But the rapture, the return of Christ is predicted many times in the Old Testament. And this morning I said the Old Testament prophets didn't have the clear picture that we have today. They didn't have the book of Revelation like we do. They didn't have the Gospels in the New Testament as we do. And so they didn't have the clear picture. At the rapture, there are no signs for the rapture. It is imminent. That means it could take place at any moment. There's nothing has to happen before the rapture. It could take place tonight before this service is over. 
The return, the second coming, there are many signs that are given. And as I said this morning, we see some of the signs that were told about the return of Christ, the, the, the second coming to the earth. We see some of those things lining up. And if we see them now and the rapture hasn't taken place yet, we know we're seeing some things that are going to take place seven years down the road. That tells us we're much closer to the coming of the Lord, to the rapture, than we are to the coming of the Lord. And then the rapture is a time of blessing and comfort. The return is a time of destruction and judgment. The rapture involves believers only. The return involves Israel and the Gentile nations. The rapture will, will occur in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Only his own will see him. Only the believers will see him at the rapture. At the return, the Bible says, every eye shall see him. It'll be visible to the entire world. At the rapture, the tribulation begins. At the second coming, the millennium begins. At the rapture, Christ comes at the bright, as the bright and morning star. At the second coming, he comes as the son of righteousness. So the fact that the Old Testament prophets did not identify the rapture in no way diminishes the importance of it. The New Testament makes up by far for the omission of the rapture in the Old Testament. The New Testament gives us three central passages that record for us the details of the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of these passages records the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself to his disciples. The other two passages record the words of the Apostle Paul, one to the church at Corinth and the other church at Thessalonica. So I want us to look at these three passages for just a moment. Go with me, if you will, to John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, Jesus gives the words himself, his own words, to his disciples about his coming, about his rapture. In John chapter 14 and verse 1, Many of us know this passage. Some of you have memorized it. Verse 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. When it comes to the rapture, we don't have to be troubled about it because we've put our faith and trust not only in God the Father, but in God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've been born again, we've been saved, and so we don't have to be troubled about the rapture. Verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's many mansions in my Father's house. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That's the rapture, that where I am, there ye may be also. So the words the Lord gave himself to his disciples to tell us that he's coming back again. He's gone to prepare a place and he's coming back again for us. I mentioned this morning the parallel between the, the Jewish weddings of the Old Testament days and the Bible days. There would be an engagement, and then there would be a year in which the young man, the groom, would go, and he would prepare the living quarters, and he would prepare all the things necessary. And at the end of that year, there would be a whole entourage of them that would come to the bride to get the bride and to bring her back to the home. And that's what Jesus said, I have gone to prepare a place for you and one day I'm coming back and I'm going to take you home to be with me. The where I am, there ye may be also. And just as a bride doesn't like to be very long becoming the bride, the Lord Jesus Christ isn't going to stay away from his bride very long. One of these days he's coming back for us. The Bible says, with the Lord a day is as a thousand years, or a thousand years is a day. 
It's been about 2,000 years since the Lord was here on earth and died and went back to heaven. So in God's timetable, it's only been a couple of days. The days as a thousand years or a thousand years as a day, it's just a couple of days. He's coming back, and he's coming back for his people. Then look over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and begin reading with me there in verse number 50. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he's talking to them about the rapture. He says in verse 50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. Now we're going to talk about this mystery in a little bit, but he says, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now you know that's our motto verse for the nursery, right? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. What the Lord was saying there, we're not going to all die. But when the rapture comes and we're caught up, we're going to be changed. In verse 52, he says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and ye shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible, this corruptible body we have now, shall have put on incorruption, that's our new body, and the mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So Paul gives some specific instructions to the church at Corinth about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gives those verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that Brother David read for us. If you go over there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we read them this morning. He says in verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those who have died, who are saved, who are believers, they're called the, those who are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. We, don't, we sorrow, but not like the lost person. The lost people have no hope. Their loved ones are going to spend eternity in hell. Saved, we have that blessed hope that the Lord has prepared a place for us. He's coming back. One day we're going to be with Him, and we'll have a wonderful reunion in heaven, and we'll be with the Lord forever. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, those that have died in the Lord, will God bring with him. You remember, he's, he's coming back in the rapture, and he's going to bring with him those that have already passed away. Their bodies in the grave, their soul and spirit is with the Lord. They're going to come with the Lord in the clouds. Verse 15, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain... That's those of us who are saved, alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent. That word prevents an old English word that means precede, will not go ahead of them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. He said we won't precede them, they're going to rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. So the Lord's coming with the believers that are in heaven. He's going to catch us up together with them in the clouds. And he says to meet the Lord in the air 
And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The wonderful thing is that from that point on, we will always be with the Lord. He's going to come back at the, at, the, uh, at the second coming to this earth. We'll get to come with Him. And when the millennial reign is over, He's going to set up the new heaven and the new earth, and we'll be a part of all of that. But wherever He is, there will be. We'll forever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, that brings me to a fifth question. That is, will Old Testament saints be resurrected as the, at the rapture? And the answer to that is no. Old Testament and tribulation saints are resurrected and judged following the tribulation. Look with me, if you will, at Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 4. Revelation chapter 20. The rapture is for the church, the believers, the bride of Christ. In Revelation chapter 20, look at verse number 4. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones... And they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their forehead, or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So this is at the second coming, he's going to raise those who were the Old Testament saints, those who are the tribulation saints, will be raised and they'll reign with Christ for a thousand years. Verse 5, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first res resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and they shall reign with him a thousand years. Now then, that brings me to the next question, that is, can people be saved during the tribulation? At the rapture, all the saved people are taken out of this world, so everybody that is left is going to be what? Unsaved. They're lost, right? So if everybody here is lost, can any of them get saved during the tribulation? And the answer is, yes. There'll be a lot of people saved. In fact, there'll be one of the greatest revivals that's ever taken place on this earth. First of all, at least 144,000 Israelites will be saved. The Bible says in, in uh, Revelation chapter 7 and verse 4, it says, having the seal of the living God. They have the seal of the living God. That clearly implies their salvation. The seal is a designation of ownership. In Ephesians 4, verse 30, he says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of, rev of, of uh, redemption. Also notice in Revelation 14, in verse 4, he says, These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. So there's going to be at least 144,000 Jewish people that are going to be saved during the tribulation. And then there's also going to be a great multitude of Gentiles that will be saved as well during that time. Look back, if you're still in Revelation, look at chapter number 7 with me in verse number 9. Revelation chapter 7 and verse number 9. In Revelation 7, verse 9, he says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, which the lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. 
and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So these are those who got saved during the tribulation. He said there was a a great number, a great multitude in verse 9, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne. And he said these are those, in verse 14, that have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Aren't you glad that the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, washes away all of our sins and makes us white as snow, the Bible says. These people did not go to heaven at the rapture because they were not saved yet. They weren't saved. They weren't saints. Again, notice what he says there in verse 14. He said, they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Romans 3.24 says, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And Romans 5 verse 9 says, much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. We're justified by the blood. These are made white. Their robes are made white by the blood of the Lamb. It speaks of salvation. So are there going to be people saved during the tribulation? Absolutely. A great host of, a great multitude of people are going to come to know the Lord during that seven-year period time of the revelation or of the tribulation. So then the next question is, what happens to the bodies of the dead and living believers at the rapture? What happens to our bodies at the rapture? Paul describes that change. We read it back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And there is a twofold change that he talks about for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. First of all, upon the decaying bodies of those that have died, those that have known the Lord and died, their bodies in the grave decaying, he says, This corruptible, This decaying body must put on incorruption. God's going to raise those dead bodies and change them to be incorruptible. They'll be receiving a new body, just like the Lord Jesus Christ's resurrected body. And then the bodies of the living believers, those of us that are still saved, he says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible. The corruptible becomes incorruptible. Excuse me, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Our mortal body is going to become immortal. Won't that be a wonderful thing? They won't be able to kill us then. Those that have lost their lives, those who have been martyred, they'll have an immortal body, one that will last forever. So the bodies are going to be changed. That's important. We get a new body, no more aches, no more pains, no more sickness. Where did, where did sickness and death come from? It came from sin in the garden all the way back in Genesis. Now we're saved, we're taken to be with the Lord, and these bodies are going to be changed, and there'll be no more sin, there'll be no more corruption, and we'll put on immortality. 
So what is this mystery that Paul talks about here? He says, I show you, in verse 51, behold, I show you a mystery. The mystery is simply this. Death is not the only way to get to heaven. Amen? Now, we all know there's only one way to get to heaven. That's through the Lord Jesus Christ. But death's not the only process. If you begin reading the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, and you read all the way through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you would learn a lot of important things in the Bible. You'd learn about creation. You'd learn about man's sin. You'd learn about Bethlehem. You'd learn about Calvary. You'd learn about the resurrection. You'd learn about the existence of heaven and hell. But you might conclude from reading that, that except for Enoch and Elijah, the only way to get to heaven is to die. But now... In 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and John chapter 14, we find that there are going to be millions of believers that get to go to heaven without dying. I don't know about you, but I'd just soon go without dying, amen? I'm looking for the upper taker, not the undertaker. And the Lord imparted this truth about the rapture to the Apostle Paul as a special revelation. It is a, called a mystery. Behold, I show you a mystery. Now, a mystery in the Bible is not some weird, strange, mysterious thing. It's not what he's talking about, I show you a mystery. A mystery in the Bible is when God reveals a truth that has not previously been revealed. He reveals to Paul the truth about the rapture that has not previously been revealed. In the Thessalonian passage, Paul reveals the source of this special revelation. Where did this revelation come from? 1 Thessalonians 4.15, he said, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Paul said this is a revelation that came from the Lord. This is God's word. And let me just say this to you today. When the 22nd chapter of Revelation was completed, there are no more revelations, special revelations that are given to people today. The book was finished. We have a lot of people say, well, I've gotten this revelation, or God revealed this to me. No, God can show us things through His Word and through His Holy Spirit, but nobody's getting a revelation from God when God says, hey, Tim, I want you to tell them, and he tells me, you know. That's not biblical. That's not what Paul says when he says he shows you a mystery. He's showing something that God revealed to him. It had not been revealed before this time. This newly revealed information that Paul received was not taken lightly. It is a revelation that was received directly from Almighty God Himself. And Paul delivered this special revelation about the rapture as a serious response to the questions of many believers of the members of the church at Thessalonica. You see, Paul and his companion Silas had come there and spent time with this church earlier, and they apparently had instructed them about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ but they, because of the persecution that came on them, they were forced to leave after only being there for a few weeks. And leaving these new believers behind, they had a lot of questions about various subjects, but especially about the coming of the Lord. The big question was, what about our loved ones who have died before the Lord comes back? And it was in response to that question that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote for us what he did in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Talked about the dead in Christ, you're going to rise first. Those loved ones that have already passed away, if they're saved, they're going to be resurrected. And they're going to be with the Lord. And so, God...
gave this mystery, the mystery of the rapture and all that's involved in that, he gives that as a special instruction to the Apostle Paul to give to the churches at Corinthians or at Corinth and at Thessalonica. Now then, the ninth question and the last question I want to mention is this. In light of the rapture, the fact that we know Jesus is coming again, and remember this, I mentioned this this morning, you have the four types, four beliefs, the, the post-tribulation rapture, the mid-tribulation, the pre-wrath, and the pre-tribulation. None of those beliefs determine whether or not we go to heaven. There's only one way to get, get to heaven, that's through faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So somebody may not agree with me on those. When the rapture takes place, they'll find out I was right. But I can still fellowship with them. It doesn't determine our destiny in heaven. And so, in light of the rapture, what are we supposed to be doing now? What should I be doing? What are you supposed to be doing? 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28 says, And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. He says to you and me, in light of the coming of the Lord, we are to live in such a way that when He comes, we're not going to be ashamed when we meet Him. So there's a couple of things we're to be doing. First of all, we're to witness earnestly. We're to witness earnestly. Go back with me to Acts chapter 1. I talked about this chapter a little bit last week, last Sunday morning. But look back at Acts chapter 1 with me for a moment. Beginning in verse number 6, Acts chapter 1 and verse number 6. And he says there in verse 6, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? So what they were saying to the Lord Jesus Christ is, Lord, what did he teach them to pray when he, when he gave them the, the, the model prayer our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. We're to be praying for his kingdom to come. And so they're saying to the Lord, okay, when are you going to restore the kingdom? When's your kingdom going to come? Verse 7, he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons. You know, sometimes I hear people say, well, we don't know the time when he's coming, but we can see, we know the seasons. That's not what Jesus said. He says, not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. What are we supposed to be doing until the kingdom comes, until Jesus comes? We are to be witnesses, earnestly witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit, he said, is going to come, and the purpose of it is not to speak in tongues, not to do great miracles, it's to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And then he goes on and he says, When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? What are you still doing here? You're supposed to go out and be witnesses. 
This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go. Just as they saw the Lord ascend into heaven, he said, one of these days he's coming back the same way. He's going to come back. And until then, verse number 8 says, we're to be witnesses, ye shall be witnesses unto me. It's interesting that Acts talks a number of places about martyrs. Stephen, who was a martyr, and others who gave their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. The word, Greek word martyr is actually martos, and it can refer to a spectator or to a person who for their faith experienced a violent death of a martyr. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 20, he says, And when the blood of the martyr Stephen was shed, this is Paul speaking, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death. He was the spectator and kept the raiment of them that slew him. Revelation 2.13 says, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is, and thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Revelation 17, 6, And I saw the, women, the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Well, I wonder, how would we do if we were to become martyrs? Would we give our life for the cause of Christ? In a normal trial, you go to court, and a witness is in some ways a spectator. They saw whatever it was that took place. And that witness testifies what they have seen or what they have heard. And that's what the Lord wants you and me to do. In Acts chapter 4, in verse number 16, listen to what he says there. Acts 4 verse 16 says, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a noble miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no farther among the people. In other words, so they don't witness and testify and talk about it. Let us straightly, straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth no, to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. If you've been saved tonight, you have seen and you have heard. Amen? And Paul said, We can't help but speak what we've seen and heard. As a child of God, knowing Jesus is coming back and that only the saved are going to be taken up. I need to be a faithful witness in telling other people how they can know the Lord so that they can go up too. They don't have to stay here and go through the wrath of God that's poured out upon this earth. I'm to be a faithful witness, earnestly witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, we're to work steadfastly. We're to work steadfastly. The Lord tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, and many of you know verses 8 and 9. He says in, in Ephesians 2 and verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God says we're saved by grace through faith 
It's not of works, not our works, lest any man should boast. And then verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. We don't work to get saved, but once we get saved, we want to work for the Lord and serve him. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God has some good works for every one of us to do. And so as we're waiting for the coming of the Lord, we're to be faithful witnesses, and we're to work steadfastly. We're to be faithful in our work for the Lord, in, in sharing the gospel in our witness, but also in doing good things, the good works that God has for us in our life. And then we're to worship consistently. We're to worship consistently. You know the verse in Hebrews 10 and verse 25, it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's talking about coming together and worshiping the Lord. As the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And then he says this, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. The words the day refers to the coming of Christ. And he says the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the more we ought to be gathering together and worshiping the Lord. We're not planning on canceling Sunday night services and Wednesday night services, and a lot of churches are doing that. God says the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the more we ought to be doing it. In fact, if you study the book of Acts, you find out the early church every day <laughs> were involved in things at the temple, and house to house they took the gospel. So God says, I want you to worship consistently. Today, we are one day closer to heaven than we were yesterday. And today we are closer to the coming of the Lord than we ever have been before. He could come back tonight. Remember this as we think about worshiping consistently. No one is so bad that they cannot worship. They cannot come to church. And no one is so good that they don't need to come to church. Amen? We need to be here. Worship consistently. And then the fourth thing is we are to watch expectantly. We're to watch expectantly. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 with me and verses 1 and 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1. And the Lord says to us there through the Apostle Paul, He says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. It's interesting he uses that same phrase, times and seasons. So you don't need me to write to you about the times and seasons. For yourself knoweth perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a what? Thief in the night. The thief in the night doesn't send you a, an announcement that I'm coming. He just shows up and breaks in and takes what he designs or is designed to get. Look down at verse number 6. Therefore... Let us not sleep as do others, but let us, what's the next word? Watch. Let us watch and be sober. We are to be watching. We're to be looking. In fact, the Lord has a special reward, as I mentioned this morning. There is a crown for those who love His appearing. Those who are looking for Jesus to come back. And we ought to be looking for Him to come back any day. You know, I think about this. If Paul in his day, if they were looking for the Lord to come back, how much more we ought to be looking for him to come back? It could be at any moment. Robert Murray McChaney was a very brilliant and a highly influential pastor in the 19th century in Scotland. He died of typhus 
shortly before his 30th birthday. And a lot of people thought, what a, what a waste, what an enormous potential was wasted. But in those brief 30 years that he lived, McShaney accomplished more than most of us would ever think of accomplishing in a whole lifetime. He wrote several books. He conducted highly successful evangelistic campaigns. He set up a missionary program to reach the Jewish people in Israel. I read that McShaney wore a special wristwatch on his arm that had these words engraved in it. It said, the night cometh. The night cometh. And every time he checked his watch, he was reminded that there's a t coming a time when we can no longer work for the Lord and share the gospel and the good news of God's love. That reminded him and motivated him to be fervent in his witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Could I say to you tonight, the hands on the clock are still moving? They're steadily moving towards the time when the night cometh and no man can work. Are we just simply passively waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we just waiting to be rescued out of all of this mess in the world? Or are we involved in helping and working to take as many people as we possibly can with us? 1 John 2.28 says, And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3 says, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. When He comes back, we're going to be changed, or we're going to be like Him. But Then listen to the next verse. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. God says, because we know He's coming back. It could be at any moment. He said, when we have that hope, we purify ourselves. When I was a kid, I grew up in a large family. We had nine kids in our family. My dad, I think, always had the largest garden in the county. I mean, we took off school. I took off a day of school in the springtime to plant potatoes. And we would plant rows and rows of potatoes. I tell the kids sometimes, you know why you plant potatoes in a plastic bag? You put a little plastic bag around each potato to keep the dirt out of their eyes. Now, if you've never planted potatoes, you don't know what that means. <laughs> but anyway, we had to plant, we had to hoe the corn. We had, to, we had the weed. We had to, how many of you ever cut the suckers off of tomato plants? We had to cut the suckers off the tomato plants. We worked hours and hours in that. And where we lived out in the country, we had, a, we had a big front yard, and then there was a two-lane highway, a cornfield, and then there was a creek over beyond that cornfield. If you're from Ohio, it's a creek over there, but it, it, was, it was a creek over there. And we boys, Dad would go off to the church, which was about eight or ten miles from where we, where we lived, and he'd be doing his work and visitation study and so forth, and he'd say, now boys, I want, when I get back tonight, I want the beans hoed, I want the corn hoed, I want the suckers cut. He'd tell us what to do. And we'd get out there and we'd work for a while. It'd get hot, and we'd get sweating and tired, and we'd head across the front yard and across the highway and across the cornfield and into the creek, and we'd go swimming for a while. Now, those of you who have lived out in the country, 
if you really live out in the country, you know you can hear sounds for a long distance. And we'd be playing in that and swimming in that creek, and all of a sudden, we'd hear Dad's car coming. You never saw boys run so fast in their life. We got across that cornfield, across the highway, through the front yard, into the garden. Why? Because we knew Dad was coming. We better have our work done. One of these days, the trumpet's going to sound. God said, everybody that has this hope purifieth himself. We want to live a clean life, a pure life. We want to be right with the Lord. We want to be working to witness and win the lost and serve the Lord and worship together and watch for His coming because it could take place any moment. It could take place tonight. If it did, are you ready? Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, we look forward to the sound of the trumpet. We're not looking for signs, we're listening for the sound that could take place at any moment. And as we wait for your coming and watch, may we be faithful witnesses. May we be busy working for you. May we be faithful in our worship. May we be faithful to watch. I think of those two words on the plaque in my living room as we grew up. Just two words said, today perhaps. And we were reminded every day, this could be the day that Jesus would come back. And we do pray as John prayed, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. If that were to take place tonight, Lord, help us to be ready. Help us to be found faithful. Help us to be able to hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.